0: Welcome to TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. This month, we want to give a special thank you to our sponsor, the Texas Department of Agriculture. And joining me today is a very special guest, Jimmy Powell of Fort McCabot. At 92 years old, Jimmy is still actively involved in the family ranch, along with the fourth and fifth generations of family. Today, we dive right into Jimmy sharing stories and his perspective on ranging into the future. So, Jimmy, you grew up in the cattle business and working cattle. Tell us about a time you remember from being really young working cattle. When
1: I really started working was when the war came on and all of the men, 35 and under, were drafted, except for the foremen of places that were a certain size. So, my dad had me riding when I was about five years old. In 41, I was 11. I started taking the place of those cowboys, and I learned to rope and ride horses and ride young ones. And I had to do that, I thought, because dad needed it. And he was riding also, and we were ranching three properties at the time and had to move from one to the other. Anyway. That's how I learned to work cattle and when we needed extra help my father would go to the high schools and try to find seniors if possible that had saddles and he'd supply the horses and he got pretty good at finding those young boys and coming out and introducing them and we had a big time working livestock. In fact, sometimes we had more fun than we should. We had a pasture that always drowned up calves that had been brought by three hundred head of of cattle or or heifers and sell them and we shipped them to Fort Worth on the rail and the rail was in the northeast corner of the ranch at at Big Lake, and the railroad picked them up there. Now I can what one time when I'm telling you, it's kind of interesting. We had rounded up those calves. I guess it were a little uh, fewer than uh, maybe 290 head, driving them up the fence, and the railroad was across the road from the fence, not over about 75 feet to the railroad from our fence. And this railroad car came by and uh, he saw all those calves out there and he thought it'd be fun to honk at them with his whistle. And he did. And I think we had five horses out there and it took all five of us the rest of the day to round those calves up. They'd scattered. <laughs> Dad said, uh, dog gone. He's always expressing himself like that. He said, if I could catch that, Railroad, God, sure give him a talking to.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, it sounds like you learned just by getting out there and getting things done. So that kind of leads me into another question. I know through the years, you've seen so much, just hardships as well as great times in the cattle business. But talk to us about the biggest challenge that you feel you've had to overcome in your cattle and ranching career?
1: Well, the biggest challenge that we had dealing with livestock was we had to get up at daylight and go out and observe all of the uh, livestock to see if they had screw worms. We had that program in those days, and uh, we had a lot of screw worms, and you had to rope a lot of animals to doctor them to keep them. If you let them go over about five days in the case of screwworms, well, they almost got to the point where they couldn't recover. And that included the cattle as well as the sheep. So we were working every daylight hour in my early years because we had to eliminate screwworms as rapidly as we could. Now, the screwworm program was eliminated by two scientists who discovered they could place those flies under a, a beam that would sterilize the females, and then they would multiply them and put them in a box and fly the boxes over the areas that had turned in screwworm case cards, which the, the government worked out to give the, the ranchers when they got a screwworm case. And those flies were sterile, and uh, the males would uh, mate with the uh, flies that were indigenous, and they would lay sterile eggs so they wouldn't have any any worms. And that eliminated the screwworm program. This was about 1962 or three, I think, when we finally got that program in full effect.
0: Well, that's interesting. It sounds like it was probably a very labor-intensive process for y'all until they had, had the flies to fix the problem.
1: Well, you're absolutely correct. I had estimated that we were losing about 5%, somewhere between 5 and 6% of our asset, livestock asset, from screw worms. If you get a bad case and you do cause the animal to live, the most effective thing you can do is to sell it because very likely uh, she'll not reproduce for another year or so when they get their health back.
0: Sure, sure. Well, and on that note of seeing things change and and finding solutions to problems, how do you think ranching has changed over the years? That's a really big question, but, but just some highlights that you see, changes that you see.
1: Well, it's actually got a lot easier because of the screw arm program, and also the interest in ranchers now in conservation, and they're now practicing most of them are manner of rotating their livestock and maintaining a good coverage of grass and vegetation, and as a result, uh, I think we have a less expensive operation now within the agriculture and livestock business
0: sure yes yes well and and looking to the future what is it going to take to continue ranching for the next 100 years plus what do you think are going to be some important things for cattlemen to keep in mind
1: well they've got to be able to keep a market up so that expenses are constantly going up and you've got to keep The price of livestock making uh, the same increases or near the same increases as your expense accounts are. Now, that is a question that everybody's looking at. And one of the biggest problems I see with the ranching business is the uh, government will not determine that they should not have a an estate tax, which means that when a rancher passes away or uh, wants to transfer his property to his children, they've got to pay the government uh, what amounts to an estate tax to make that trade, or if he's passed away, it would be an estate tax. Now, that property probably was purchased after he had paid an income tax on income and reserved it so he's actually that family's paying two taxes on one acre of land and that's very unfair in my opinion but when agriculture is only about three or four percent of the population of this country it's not very well received as as being a a good fact
0: sure well it makes it hard for the people who grew up understanding the business and knowing the business to continue the business and um, harder for those families who desire to be on the ranch to continue on the ranch?
1: Well, I've been on bank boards, and I have seen ranchers have to sell, uh, the families have to sell their property to pay the estate tax. And that's just unfortunate. That's not necessary, really and shouldn't be a part of our governmental system.
0: Sure. Now, I'd love to hear another story or two that you have, just things that come to mind that stand out to you from your years of experience with cattle and any stories, just like the one earlier. Do you have some that come to mind?
1: Well, when I was um 10, 11 years old and actually took the place of the ranch hens when they went to the first uh, the Second World War, I rode horses that had been broken and one of them was my favorite was a little Shetland. The, the, the Shetland is a small horse and it was easy for me to get in the stirrups and, and get on him. And, and uh, he liked to lope and run and he he was so short-legged. He couldn't keep up a lot of times with, with the other horses that would go a little faster. So we had to, get behind and then I had to kick him up and that was an interesting beginning with the horses but then we were raising uh, young colts and we would have probably four or five to break every year and we had boys that knew how to do that and uh, when you get a colt up to oh I'd say 18 months of age you harness him or you put a bridle on him and you start ginning him. Then later you put a saddle on him and get on him and sometimes they pitch and sometimes they don't. And I was lucky enough to be able to slip slip those gentler young horses into my uh riding group and and I'd ride them. And it wasn't often I'd have to ride one pitching, but That had happened. You're going to do that with young horses usually. I enjoyed training those young horses. And when you have the type of roping that we had at that time, you can train them real well. And I enjoyed doing that. It was, you, you just have to have to be very calm with them. You can't get excited with them and you can't get aggravated with them because In a natural sense, they want to do what you'd like for them to do.
0: Sure. Well, the more that I learn about horse training, the more that I see that it's an art. There's an art to training the horses.
1: Well, in our business we'd have I never did have more than two, but some of the cowboys would have three or four. And if he if they trained them well enough, somebody came along and wanted to buy them. Dad usually awarded the trainer half of the sale price, which was an incentive for those boys to do a good job on those horses. If they they made a a horse mad or 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 made a a bad move with the horse, well, they wouldn't get to sell them. So it was a good practice, I think.
0: Sure. Yes, you've been involved with several boards, including the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. Talk to us about the importance of being involved with these associations and engaging.
1: Well, that's very important for agriculture because TS and CRA, Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers, major interest is in saying that uh, the government doesn't pass a bad law or one that's very destructive to agriculture. And as a result of that, I didn't think we were getting having enough effect to that. You have to have an organization who has the men available to be in the legislature, Congress, and seeing each bill that comes in, or being informed of it to know whether you want to support it or deny it. And uh, there's many bad bills that you really need to, to have a good organization doing that and. In the first place, we need to have more people just other than the ranch owners having an interest in agricultural legislation. So Doc Briscoe and I were visiting, and and, um, we talked about that. And as a result, there was an organization developed. Now it's called the TALL, T-A-L-L, TALL organization that takes in people involved in agricultural businesses not necessarily production of livestock. And they're becoming pretty effective. Some of those boys go over the two years and have decided to run for office. And I think that's a, a big project that could happen to benefit agriculture quite a bit in the future. If uh, that continues, we have a good man operating right now. So those kinds of organizations need to be developed it's not just one now we have a national organization that does a good job for cattle people texan southwestern cattle raisers one of the major organizations in that national group and they take a big interest in it so i think agriculture is annually becoming more effective as a result of
0: that sure yes most definitely well Our 20 minutes have gone by really, really fast, and I knew that they would. Is there anything else that, I mean, it's been a very broad conversation today, but anything else that you would like young cattle producers to know, any words of wisdom that you'd like to leave them with today? I think
1: education is one (laughs) of the more important subjects, and that needs to be directed more particularly to the youngsters. Not only k through twelve, but all the way through college and and thereafter, like the call program, so that you have more interest by agriculturalists.
0: Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for your time today. I greatly appreciate your time and and your stories and your wisdom that you've shared with us. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to be part of one of our ranch gatherings and virtual Ranching 101. For a full list of ranch gathering locations, Ranching 101 topics, and more information about cattle raisers, visit tscra.org or email events at tscra.org. And now a word from our sponsors.
1: Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. We need your help to make Texas school lunches homegrown and healthy. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local ag producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. So, if you're a rancher, a farmer, a baker, or a salsa maker, join the Farm Fresh Network and connect with our schools in your area. Sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org.